Welcome to the Jesus Famous Youth Teachings Podcast. Our vision is to see Jesus famous in the lives of the youth of our church. We want to see youth have opportunities for them to come to know Jesus in a complete and whole way and be united together in love, and most importantly, strengthened in the moments of discouragement. Jesus Famous Youth meets on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. and has a middle school program available on Sundays at 11 a.m. Now, let's get into our teaching. All right, guys, so we're going to be in the book of Philippians tonight. If you've got a Bible, turn there. Over the month of May, we're going to be going through the entire book of Philippians, which is exciting. We're going to do a chapter a night. Uh, I'm excited to do this. Hopefully you are too. Uh, bring your Bibles. Bring your notebooks. If you don't have a Bible, we got some in the back you can grab. Leaders can grab one for you if you, if you need. If you're quiet, you can grab one. So before we get started, uh, I want to encourage you guys, if you're around someone that's going to distract you or you're going to distract someone, like this fourth row back here, I'm just, say, hey, I'm just saying... If this is a problem, if it might be a problem, just move before I got to move you or before I sit Cameron and Brady on you, okay? So look at it. They just look so tough in their golf gear, don't they? I love it, man. Yeah. <laughs> They're the golf mafia sitting over there. All right. So, guys, do those two words go together, golf and mafia? I don't, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So listen up, guys. We'll be in Philippians tonight. Um, so a couple of announcements before we get started. Um, let's see if this pulls up. There we go. Sweet. So first one is we got, actually, I want to do, before we go there, let's do this one first. So high schoolers, the formal is next Friday, the 12th. Not this Friday, the next Friday, right? <laughs> Excited about that. So we have, we have, um, so, so I'm excited. The theme has come together, the the kind of decorations, uh, Olivia and I are meeting tonight just to talk about little details, but high schoolers, sign up for it, invite a friend, have them register. We got DJ Teach coming out. He, he has a whole new set of lights and like fog machines that he wants to bring out. He has me buying these giant foam glow sticks that like flash, and like, so he wants to go all rave on one of the songs or two of the songs or something like that. We actually have a photo booth this year, like one of those cool photo booths with like the, all that kind of stuff. So. So high school, oh, and Greg from the kitchen, our, the guy, our guy that manages our kitchen, he's doing a full buffet of, like, heavy hors d'oeuvres is kind of the idea. So, like, think, like, bacon-wrapped shrimp, okay? That is my third favorite food wrapped in my first favorite food, okay? Like, you cannot beat bacon-wrapped shrimp. You just cannot, okay? So high schoolers, register for that. Invite a friend. Let's, let's get 100 kids in Sanctuary, too, just having a great time, um, your stepdad is DJ Teach. He is, all right? So get on that. It's next week, guys. It's next week. Last day to register is a week from today, all right? Our youth group is horrible at registering, like early. We are horrible at it. So let's get on that, okay? Next one is middle schoolers. Middle school camp is coming up. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's it. So excited about this camp. We get to go to Camp Alta. Um, I'm, I just I love middle school camp. It's so much fun. So register, invite a friend. If, shh, if money is an issue, if money's ever an issue for one of these camps, please come talk to me. We have a very generous church, men and women that want to donate scholarships for kids who are struggling or, or that just don't have the money this time of year or whatever it is. So if money's an issue, don't let it be, okay? Don't let your pride get in the way. Come talk to me. Fill out a, out a, out a scholarship form and come to camp. Come to middle school summer camp. All right, we're going to have this, one of our days is going to be a yuck day, Y-U-K, all right? 
Don't ask any questions. It's going to be a lot of fun, okay? Yeah, Carly. You know, I don't know if we'll do that. We may do, because it's not, it's such a, I hear from some kids that they love the teams. I hear from other kids that they hate the teams. So I don't know, okay? I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, sign up for middle school summer camp. Eighth graders to sixth graders, come on out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, this is not a democracy. I, I, am, I am God. I am little G, little G, little G, little G. I am demigod here. You don't get to vote. I make the decisions. Yeah, what's up, bro? Yeah. Yeah, no clicks. All right, yeah, no colors, no gangs, Carly, no gangs. All right, last one. High schoolers, or well, eighth graders through high school, it's Gleanings for the Hungry. Sign up for that. I know I said, first come, I know I said, like, I wanted kids that weren't going to Thailand and stuff like that, but at this point, no one's really signing up. We got about a month before we go, a little over a month. So if you want to go to Gleaning, sign up for it, eighth graders through high school. Um, it's, a, it's five days together. It's a lot of fun. Those who, if you, you know, find someone who went last year, and you'll, you'll figure out, like, it's, it's kind of like a summer camp, a high school summer camp, but really, like, the idea is getting to go and serve and to be together in a fellowship, so... Sign up for Gleanings. It's going to be a blast. Last one, middle school girls. Uh, Krista, back here, is actually going to be starting a Sunday morning Bible study. Okay, so we've got flyers on the back table. And then here's a little bit of info. It's going to be every Sunday at 1015. So up in the youth room before the middle school service at the 11 o'clock service. So Krista has a curriculum she wants to take you guys through. I think you're going to go through the book of Ruth. And then she's going to kind of teach you young ladies how to how to actually do a Bible study, how to study the Bible, how to interpret the Bible, how to apply the Bible. So if there's any middle school girls that are interested in a Sunday morning Bible study, talk to Krista, grab a flyer in the back. She's going to start doing that this Sunday, okay? So this Sunday, 1015. It'll also be in the weekly email, so your parents will get that too if they have any questions, all right? That's all the announcements. We're good. Okay, cool, guys. So excited, so excited. Summer's here, guys. It's basically here. It's basically here. Okay. So going to go to the book of Philippians. So before we get on that, hey, Seth, turn down the music, and I'm going to play a video. And the, So turn off. So go to Spotify. Just go to Spotify. You already turned it off on Spotify? All right, then turn on the Mac, the Mac on the soundboard there. This is what happens when there's no sound guy. And Seth saves the day. Way to go, Seth. Yeah. Yeah. Seth is our sound guy. He is. All right, is the Mac on? Both. Just hit the unmute, and they'll both pop on. You got to turn it up. Paul's letter to the Philippians. The church in Philippi was the first Jesus community Paul started in Eastern Europe, and that story is told in Acts chapter 16. Philippi was a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia. It was full of retired soldiers, and it was known for its patriotic nationalism. And so there, Paul faced resistance when he was announcing Jesus as the true king of the world. And after Paul moved on from there, those who became followers of Jesus continued to suffer resistance and even persecution, but they remained a vibrant community faithful to the way of Jesus. Paul sent this letter from one of his many imprisonments, and for a very practical reason. The Philippians had sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, to take a financial gift to Paul to support him in prison. 
And Paul sent back this letter with Epaphroditus to say thank you and to do a whole lot more. The design of this letter doesn't develop one single idea from beginning to end like many of Paul's other letters. Rather, Paul has arranged a series of short reflective essays or vignettes, and they all revolve around the center of gravity in this letter, which is a poem in chapter 2. It artistically retells the story of the Messiah's incarnation, his life, death, and resurrection, and exaltation. And then in each of these vignettes, Paul will take up key words or ideas from that poem to show how living as a Christian means seeing your own story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. So Paul opens the letter with a prayer of gratefulness, and he thanks God for the Philippians' generosity, for their faithfulness, and he expresses his confidence that the life-transforming work that God has begun in them will continue into greater and more beautiful expressions of faithfulness and love. And Paul then focuses on their obvious concern at the moment, which is his status in prison. Being in a Roman prison was no picnic, but it paradoxically has turned out for good to advance the good news about Jesus. So all of the Roman guards, the administrators, they all know that Paul's in prison for announcing Jesus as the risen Lord. And his imprisonment, it's inspired confidence in other Christians to talk about Jesus more openly. And Paul's optimistic that he will be released from prison, but it's possible that he could be executed. And as he reflects on it, that actually wouldn't be so bad, because for me, Paul says, life is the Messiah. And so dying would be a gain. For Paul, his life in the present and in the future, it's defined by the life and love of Jesus for him. And so if he's executed... That means he'll be present with Jesus, which would be great for him. And if he's released, well, that would mean he could keep working to start more Jesus communities, which would be better for other people. And so that's what he hopes for. And notice how his train of thought works here. Dying for Jesus is not the true sacrifice for Paul. Rather, it's staying alive to serve others. And so that's Paul's way of participating in the story of Jesus, to suffer in order to love others more than himself. Paul then turns to the Philippians, and he urges them to participate in Jesus' example by taking up this same mindset. He says, your life as citizens should be consistent with the good news about the Messiah. So these Christians in Philippi, they were living in a hotbed of Roman patriotism, but their way of life was to be shaped by another king, Jesus. And that might bring persecution, but they are not to be afraid because suffering for being associated with Jesus it's a way of living out the story of Jesus himself, which leads Paul into the great poem of chapter 2. It's rich with echoes of Old Testament texts, specifically the story of Adam and his rebellion in Genesis 1 through 3, and the poems about the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah. This poem is worth committing to memory. It is a beautifully condensed version of the gospel story. So before becoming human, the Messiah pre-existed in a state of glory and equality with God. And unlike Adam, who tried to seize equality with God, the Messiah chose not to exploit his equal status for his self-advantage. Rather, he emptied himself of status. He became a human. He became a servant to all. And even more than that, he allowed himself to be humiliated. He was obedient to the Father by going to his death on a Roman execution rack. But through God's power and grace, the Messiah's shameful death has been reversed through the resurrection. And now God has highly exalted Jesus as the king of all, bestowing upon him the name that is above all names, so that all creation should recognize 
that Jesus the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that last statement is astounding. Paul's quoting from Isaiah chapter 45. It's a passage where all creation comes to recognize the God of Israel as Lord. Paul's point here is very clear. In the crucified and risen Jesus, we discover that the one true God of Israel consists of God the Father and the Lord Jesus. And so for Paul, this poem, it expresses his convictions about who Jesus is, and it does more. It offers the example of Jesus as a way of life that his followers are to imitate. And so that's why Paul immediately goes on to tell two stories, first about Timothy, then about Epaphroditus, because they are both examples of people living out Jesus's story. So Timothy's like Jesus because he's constantly concerned for the well-being of other people more than his own. And Epaphroditus, who the Philippians sent with their gift, he ended up risking his life to serve Paul in prison. He got so sick he almost died trying to help Paul. But God had mercy on him and Paul by sparing him the loss of a friend. Paul's point here is that these are the kinds of people who are living, breathing examples of the story of Jesus, and they are worthy of imitation. Paul then turns to his own story as an example. So those Christians who had been demanding circumcision of non-Jewish Christians, remember his letter to the Galatians, these people are still stirring up trouble for Paul, and they keep reminding him of his own past. When he used to persecute Jesus' followers, when he tried to show his right standing before God by his zealous obedience to the laws of the Torah. But like Jesus, Paul has given up all of that status and privilege. He now regards all of it as filth, and the word he uses is actually much less polite. He's given it all up to become a servant, like Jesus, to participate in his suffering and sacrificial love. And he does all of it in the hope that Jesus's love will carry him through death and out the other side into resurrection. So Paul says that for followers of Jesus, their true citizenship is in heaven, which for Paul does not mean that we should all hope to get away from earth and go to heaven one day. Rather, heaven is the transcendent place where Jesus reigns as king. And he says we're eagerly awaiting our royal savior to come from there and return here to bring his kingdom of healing justice and transforming love to bring about a new creation. Paul then challenges the Philippians to keep living out the Jesus story. He first addresses two prominent women leaders in the church who worked alongside Paul, and they're in some kind of conflict. And so Paul pleads with them to follow Jesus's example of humility, to reconcile and become unified. Paul then urges the Philippians not to give in to fear, but despite their persecution, to vent all of their emotion and their needs to God, who will give them peace. And that peace, Paul says, it comes by focusing your thoughts on what is good and true and lovely. There's always something that you could complain about, but a follower of Jesus knows that all of life is a gift and can choose to see beauty and grace in any life circumstance, which leads Paul to his conclusion. He again thanks the Philippians for their sacrificial gift, and he wants them to know that his imprisonments, that his times of poverty, that these are not true hardships for him. They've actually become his greatest teachers, showing him that no matter his circumstances, he has learned the secret of contentment, its simple dependence on the one who strengthens him. Paul has come to see his own suffering as a participation in the story of Jesus. The letter to the Philippians gives us a unique window into Paul's own heart and mind. 
He saw his entire life as a reenactment of the story of Jesus. And you can sense in this letter his close connection to Jesus, his awareness that Jesus' love and presence is closer than his own skin. And that's what gave him hope and humility in his darkest hours. And so Paul shows us that knowing Jesus is always a deeply personal, transforming encounter. And that's the kind of Jesus that Paul invites others to follow. And that's what Paul's letter to the Philippians is all about. Yay. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Seth, for all the help back there. All right, so just wanted to give you guys that overview of Philippians. It's kind of a lot to take in. We're going to be taking it chapter by chapter through this month of May. I encourage you guys, maybe through this month, you know, start a devotional on the book of Philippians. Just start reading through it and, and think about all the studying and all the kind of what you can take in from this book as we go through the month of May, you know, what you can really glean from it. Kind of like the end of that uh, depiction of Philippians talked about was, was what this book gives us is such an insight into a man and, and Paul was, was, a, was an amazing Christian. He was an amazing man that followed after Jesus in a, in a very abandoned type way. He abandoned all their things for Jesus, right? But what it does, it gives us an insight as Christians today of like, what does it truly look like to be a man or a woman that abandons for Jesus, that gives up all for Jesus, that, that would literally lay down their life saying, I want my life to be as close to Jesus as Paul's was or, you know, that I can here on this life. And so... We really get that through this book, and, and really as we open up into, into Philippians today, it brings us such a picture of contentment. You know, as, as the video was talking about, Paul was in prison. He was in this place of prison, and yet we see such joy and peace and just contentment with Jesus and in that calling that God had upon his life to the point where Paul saw his suffering as just a story of the Christian church. Paul knew his place of being in suffering, of being in prison, of being beat, of being abandoned, of being sick and cold and hungry was all part of the Christian church, was all part of the Christian story. And hopefully that speaks to you and I today that even though we sit 2,000 years later from the start of the church, your story, your life is a part of that. You sitting here tonight learning and growing what it, and knowing what it means to be a Christian is, is part of the Christian church, is part of the Christian story even 2,000 years later. And it's, so it's a pretty amazing thing once you start thinking about it and letting it mull over. And so really encourage you guys, read through the book of Philippians as we go through this month, okay? So turn to Philippians chapter one. Let's read through the text here. Um, and we will just kind of go part by part and see what God has for us tonight, okay? So Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayers with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who be began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, uh, filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. 
I want you to know, brothers, verse 12, that what has happened to me has really served to advantage the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 15, so indeed preach Christ from every envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambitions, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in, in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. For your progress and joy is the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that, whatever, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God, for it has been granted. Father, we come before you. We thank you for this night. Thank you for this study and just even reading through this chapter. I know it's a lot, but God, I know that you can speak volumes through your word and through the working of your spirit as these kids gather. So we just thank you for this time. We give you glory. Uh, speak through me as we just kind of get going with this. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. So kind of the big picture of this chapter and kind of what we're looking at here is is in chapter one of Philippians, what we're getting is kind of perspective. We're getting the, the, the bird's eye view of, of what Paul is gonna write about through the book of uh, Philippians, or the, the letter to the Philippian church, and really giving us as Christians a perspective of, of the kind of the game we're playing here. And I, and I don't wanna mean to belittle our Christian faith, but, but if you were to think of it like a game, right? Who, who in here watches football? All right, you guys watch football, okay. So, so there's this cool thing that happens in, in modern-day football, and it's been happening for a while, but you really see it more today, where the QB will make a play or they'll make a pass and there's an interception, and they'll run over to the sideline and they'll grab a phone, right? You guys ever seen a QB do that? Right? They grab a phone, right? They're not calling for pizza or whining to their mom because they threw an interception, but who they're calling to is actually the viewer box, which is up high. It's, a, it's, like, it's like, you know, 1,500 feet up high above the field, and up there is one of the assistant's coaches, and basically what he's calling is saying, hey, coach, why did that happen? Why every time I flank to the right, they're there, they're ready to block, or they, they know the plays? And that assistant coach can then tell the QB, hey, like what I'm seeing from my vantage point, from my perspective, is that they can see your, your tails, or, or they know the plays as you move to the right, or, or whatever the play may be. 
And the QB may be like, no, 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 I know, like, like if I go this way, they won't see it. And see, that assistant coach may even, like, come back with, like, no, this is what you do because they have a different perspective. They have a higher perspective. And what Paul wants us to understand as we go into the book of Philippians is that God himself is, is like that assistant coach, right? He's there with a different perspective than what you and I have. You and I, all we have is an earthly perspective. We have this human perspective. All we, we kind of can sense and see are, with our five senses is kind of what's in front of us, what we have right there in that present time. We can't change what happened 10 minutes ago, nor do you know what's going to happen 10 minutes from now, let alone tomorrow. And so our perspective is very short. You know, as, as you guys are young, as you guys are teenagers, a lot of time your perspective is, like, focused in on friends and, and identity and, you know, like, what do people think of me? And it's like it's right here kind of in front of your face. But see, what Paul wants us to understand is that our perspective, though it may be short as humans, we have the ability to go to that sideline and call God, as it were, and to say, okay, God, what is your perspective? What, what do you see in my life? Why do I keep hitting this brick wall? Why does this sin keep, keep coming back into my life? Why, why is this friend group, when I hang out with a certain group of people, why, why do I feel like I'm being brought down? God, what is, what is going on in my life? And see, what Paul also wants us to understand is that, yes, like, go to God with that. And God wants you to understand, young Christian, that, that you can go to him, that he wants to share with you his perspective. He wants to share with you his outlook on what it means to be a Christian in the 21st century, what it looks like to be a teenage Christian on the Monterey Peninsula in whatever form, whether you're homeschooled or public school or Christian school, wherever you're at. The fact is God wants to give you his perspective because in that perspective, guys, what we then see is past our problems we see past our circumstances. We see past the, the anxieties, the fears, the depressions of life because God sees past those. So many times those big issues are right here. They're like the big things in our way. But see, when we look to God and we, he gives us our, his perspective and we've, we listen to him and we follow after it, a lot of those issues, they become smaller than they were because God sees past them and he shows us the way through them. He even shows us the way out of it. And see, Paul had this because as he writes this letter, this letter of contentment, this letter of peace, this letter of joy, he was in prison, right? He was awaiting to see the mad God King Nero, who was torturing and murdering Christians. Nero was a nut job. And Paul knew that if I go to stand before him, I'm dead. Like, this man will kill me. And yet through that, through that sickness, imprisonment, being chained to a uh, a Hulk-like Roman guard constant. I don't know if he was, I don't know, maybe, I don't know what he looked like. Anyway, the idea of like being chained to a Roman guard, being, being put in Roman prison, knowing that he would be put to his death if he stood before Nero. The fact is, you guys, like in that, as he writes this letter to the Philippian church, he's encouraging them, have perspective, because in that God perspective, joy and peace and contentment reign. And the fear and anxiety and the depressions of life they become smaller and smaller as we look through God's perspective, okay? And though this is what Paul wants us to understand. This is what you and I want to understand as we go through this. So as we do walk through this, you know, we need to understand that, that you know, when we finally see the big picture, we realize really how unbelievably blind we are. See, Paul, his perspective was so in line with God that he knew, and we go through this, that he knew that, man, if I stay on earth, and we're going to read about this tonight, if I stay on earth, I'm gonna be of good work to God. I'm gonna serve the church. 
I'm gonna disciple people, I'm gonna lead people to Jesus, but if I die, I'm going to heaven. See, Paul knew that as a Christian, man, it was, it was win-win either way. Because if I die before Nero's hand, I'm going to heaven because I know Jesus is my savior. But if I stay on earth, I'm of good work here and I'm gonna be of a servant, I'm gonna serve the church here. Man, I would, I would love to hear that from every single Christian in this room that you have the confidence and the perspective that, man, if I were to die tonight, I'm going to heaven, I'm with my Jesus. But if Jesus decides to keep me for here and decides to make Josh Shively a youth pastor for the next 150 years, then the fact is, like, I'm gonna just keep teaching the generations and doing whatever a 150-year-old youth pastor does. But the fact is, you guys, like, that perspective keeps us in that place because without it, man, we're so blind. We are so blind. So what are some of the principles we get from this? As we kind of read through this chapter, like I encourage you, read through it again on your own. Take the book of Philippians, take the month of May, study through it piece by piece because we're gonna do a more of a 30,000 foot view of the book of Philippians through this month. But some of the, per, the principles we gain from this chapter one, the first one is God is bigger than my circumstances. Now this is so fundamental, this is so true. As you as a teenager with all the, the struggles and the things that, that you go through just personally and then the things within your society that are happening around you, the things that are happening in the world, your cultural moment that you're growing up in, understanding that God is bigger than my circumstances is something that can bring us such a higher perspective. So how do we trust God with our circumstances, guys? Well, the first one, we trust him with what has happened in the past, right? Trying not to hold on to things that have happened in the past. Maybe you've made some big choices already as a teenager that you're dealing with some consequences and you've made those choices and you gotta deal with those. Maybe someone older, someone that was supposed to watch after you made some choices and it affected you. And those things wounded you and you're dealing with those choices from another person. Maybe you're just in a circumstance where you just, you have to just be a kid. And yet your parents are making choices or your guardians are making choices and you just have to roll with the punches. But see, it's trusting God that even within that circumstance where you had no control and the, the consequences are here, real, right now. It's trusting God that that even what happened in the past, his, his hand was over it, all right? Trust him with the, what is happening now. We trust him with what's happening now. And see, right now with what, what is kind of in your present day, whatever happened today, whatever's going on, it's trusting God with those relationships, it's trusting God with those circumstances, it's just allowing God to have each and every day. When you wake up tomorrow morning, it's waking up with the heart, not of anxiety, but the heart of saying, okay, God, you've got me. You have this day planned out. You know what I'm supposed to do. And maybe even ask God, God, what would you have me do? Who do you want me to speak to? What kind of light do you want me to be in in the place that you have me in? And then lastly, we trust him with what happens in the future, what will happen in the future. So whether you're a senior here tonight and you're sitting here going, man, I'm looking at colleges and I'm thinking about what's happening next and I'm looking at, man, what am I gonna do for the rest of my life? Or you're a sixth grader, almost seventh grader, and you're like, yeah, I'm just here, and there was popcorn and M&Ms, and I'm happy, right? Like, no matter where you're at, yeah, right? No matter where you're at in that, or you're eighth grader that's like almost a freshman, but you're just not there yet, like, sorry guys, you're not quite human yet, almost, but not quite. So <laughs> the thing is, shh, the thing is, the thing is, shh, whatever it is, trust God with that future. Trust God with the man or the woman that you desire to be. And when your perspective lines up with God's, you're gonna find those passions and those desires, those things that you desire to be, line up with God's. Because he put those things in your heart. He put those desires, those passions in who you are. 
2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with the, this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. It's sealed with the inscription of who God is, saying, Connor, that God knows you. You know that? Knows who you are. Okay? So this is the first principle. God is bigger than my circumstances. Number two, the second principle that we gain is, from on high, God understands why. From on high, God understands why. I mean, that's a big question. Why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things have to happen? Why, does, why do things have to, like, hurt? Why does there have to be pain? Why does there have to be sorrow? Why does there have to be anxiety and fear and depression? Why? But on, from on high, God can see and understands why. So why should we trust God's knowledge? Why should you and I as Christians trust God's knowledge, you guys? Well, we can look at the word, we can look at all of who he is, and basically, he is faithful and true to work all things out. See, we see this fine line of God working things out from the Old Testament, really from the book of Genesis, all the way to the book of Revelation. We just finished the seven letters of Revelation, and the fact is, what what we saw through all of that is Jesus is in control, right? No matter how bad it gets, no matter how, how crazy the world is, Jesus is in control, and so we see this, this narrative all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. We even see it in our reality that we live in right here and right now. The world that you are living in, the air that you're breathing, the solar system that our world is spinning in. The fact is, you guys, God is in control of that. And we know that he cares because he is faithful to make these things work over and over again. Psalms 33, 4 says, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. It's understanding that God is faithful in your life, in the circumstances, in the fear, in whatever comes up, he is faithful through those things. Maybe you have this verse written on your wall somewhere, your mom has a little plaque in your house, but Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things are all, I'm sorry, we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We can trust through Romans 8, 28, as Paul writes the book of Romans even, that, that you and I, as we walk in Jesus, things will work out. Now, this life is broken. It's a broken place, and bad things happen. They do. But it's trusting God that that these things will work out. So the second principle we get, you guys, is from on high, God understands why. The third one, you guys, is proper perspective produces praise. Proper perspective produces praise. See, the fact is that when you are in your perspective and your life is right here, and your problems, and your fears, and all those are right here, it's really hard to praise God because you're focused on self, huh? Right? It's hard to praise God when you're focused on self. When you're so concerned with the, with the girl next to you, and what does she think of me, and how does she like my singing, it's really hard to praise God, isn't it? Right? When you're so concerned about that person, that situation, it's hard because you are focused on self. It's all about me. How do I look? Right? How does my voice sound? Should my hands be here, here? Should it be here? Like, am I carrying the TV, right? Am I waving? Like, what am I doing, right? Like, yeah, what am I doing, right? Am I doing the rock fist, you know? I don't know. So the thing is, though, proper perspective, when we raise our perspective high, when we give it to God, it produces praise in our life. So in what ways does having a God-sized perspective produce praise? So in what ways, as you go to God, you say, God, take my perspective higher. Help me see above all the things in my life. How does that bring praise? Well, the first one, we praise him for who he is. We first offer just accept the fact that God can raise us out of our issues, our problems, our addictions, our pains, our sins, and he can take us out of it. 
And so we just praise him for being a God that does that, being a God that cares. You don't have to say 15 Hail Marys and confess to a priest. You don't gotta go sacrifice a chicken and like, you know, wash yourself in holy water. And then God says, okay, now I'll, I'll," like, that's not how it works. Right here tonight, you can pray. You can go to a leader and confess and say, God, like, I, I just need, I just need a better perspective, God, of my life. And he will do it right here and right now. So we praise him for who he is. Number two there, we praise him for all we are and who we are in him. See, when your perspective, when your, your perspective is raised, when you, you see it through a God, like a God-type lens, what you see is yourself in the right perspective. You know, the lies the world wants you to believe, man, I'm trash, I'm no good, I'm a loser, I'm an outcast, right? Like, I'm this or I'm that. The identities we receive from the world, those are lies. But see, as God raises our perspective higher, what we see is that, no, I'm, I'm a child of God's. I'm chosen, I'm cherished, I'm loved, I have a purpose, that he made me a certain way. He, even with my defects and my faults and my, my handicaps, God made me this way for his purpose and his reason. See, when we're in the midst of our stuff, man, we focus on self and we see that our identity, our, our purpose, it, like, it dwindles because we just look at ourselves in the wrong light. So we praise him for who we are in him. Number three, we praise him for the work of salvation to us and to all who believe. See, the beautiful thing about our perspective producing praise is when we, we're raised above our own selfish stuff or our own life stuff, we see God's real work. We see that it's not about me, that it's not just about me, but it's about us. It's about our community. It's about, it's about the people that God has around you that don't know Jesus. That you sit here tonight, if you call yourself a Christian, you know Jesus. You have him in your heart. You're saved. You have that confidence. But there's people around you that probably don't know him. People you go to school with, people you go to sports with, right? Maybe the barista that makes your coffee. I don't know, right? Like maybe even someone you know that's here tonight that doesn't know Jesus. And the fact is when our perspective is raised, we see that there's a need out there. We see that there's people that, that literally do not know Jesus. And so there's, there can be literally like not a life after death for them. And this, is, this raises our perspective. Psalms 50, uh, 150 verses one through three says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. What this gives us, you guys, is the perspective that God is worthy of our praise with our life. He's worthy of our praise with our actions, our thoughts, what comes out of our mouth, just our, who we are. And this, when we raise our perspective, it produces praise. Number five, you guys, or four, I'm sorry. In Christ, life or death is a win-win situation, right? One of these things that we get, one of these principles we get from chapter one of Philippians is that in Christ, life or death is a win-win situation. So what does this mean for you and I? If we call ourselves a Christian, what does it mean for you and I that that life or death is a win-win? See, death, most people wouldn't say it's a win-win, would they, right? Death is something that scares us. Death is the unknown, Death is the great equalizer of mankind. Doesn't matter how much money you ever get, or how pop- popular you are, or how strong you get, you will die one day, right? It all rots. And yet, as a Christian, there's a win-win because of, of being in Christ. And Paul says this in Philippians chapter one, verse twenty through twenty-four, where he says, "As uh, so, or as it is, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed." but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I mean, Paul basically saying, if I live, Christ will be honored. If I die, Christ will be honored. For to me, 
to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I am to live in the flesh, that means faithful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. See, Paul lived in such a way that, man, like, he wanted to go home and be with Jesus. He understood that heaven awaited, eternal life awaited with his Savior, uh, Jesus. But, like, he also understood that there was work to be done here. There was such work to be done here. See, that's the beautiful thing about Paul's perspective because it was so close to God. And when you and I raise our perspective, we realize that we are kingdom workers, that God has a purpose for you. And it's so much bigger than any selfish thing that you can concoct for yourself. It's so much bigger than any selfish thing that you want to do on, on your day off and your time. When you, when you raise that perspective, you see like, man, like, God, you've got something for me. You really do. And it's to impact the world around me. Like, I pray that there's young men and young women in this, in this group right here who desire to be missionaries to, to like abroad and to, to like their hometown, like in America. I pray that there's young men and young women in this room who want to teach the Bible who want to teach God's word to others and disciple others, who truly want to be kingdom workers, not just be good church members, right? We don't need just good church members. We got lots of those. We need young men and young women who want to be kingdom workers, kingdom impactors for the world around them. Paul had this perspective because it was, it was up there with God's, and we need to have it too. Last one, verse five, or number five, you guys, is when we are ready to die, we are best prepared to live. See, Paul's perspective was so up there with God's perspective that he understood that when he was ready to die at the hand of Nero, knowing that his imprisonment, his suffering, and even his death would actually greater, would actually embolden other Christians to be more bold for Jesus and spread the gospel. See, Paul knew that his testimonies, like, in a sense, the more that Paul suffered, the more that the churches that he witnessed to and, and planted were like empowered and emboldened to go spread the gospel more. Because Paul was willing to have joy and contentment and peace in prison and send these letters to, to Philippi and, and Galatia and these other places. The fact is, in Ephesus, like Paul's letters encouraged believers through his suffering where they were like, all right, like if Paul continued to be a witness to the guards who chained him down and beat him daily, then we can be witnesses in our hometown. See, Paul understood this, that, that through that suffering, it empowered and, it, and it, it gave Christians such boldness to go out and keep witnessing. And so when Paul, being ready to die, it actually prepared him to live. So why is it important for us to live for Jesus each day as it is a matter of life or death? Because, you guys, Romans 10, 9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because salvation is that easy. Because the fact is there's a world around you, young Christians, that needs to know Jesus. And your generation is, is, is not just a post-Christian, but it's almost an anti-Christian generation. You probably have friends, you probably know kids that have never been to youth group, have never read the Bible, have know, know anything about Jesus, and yet salvation is offered to them, just as Paul wrote, wrote in Romans 10, believe in your heart and declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you are saved. And you, young Christians, are the witness. You, young Christians, are the Bible that they've never read. You're the Jesus that they've never heard about. Your life declares and is light and salt to the world around it. This is why it's so important to live in such a way where we're ready to die for Jesus but in that ready to die, we are absolutely choosing to live each day for him. 
This is Paul's testimony. This is the heart of a man who chose to live in such a way and die in such a way for Jesus as a testimony to you and I that we would choose the same life, that we in Christ would live in such a way where, man, we are ready to die and be with Jesus, and there's joy in that. But each and every day, until he takes me home, I'm going to be the man that he's called me to be. I want you to be the young woman that he's called you to be. The fact is, you guys, like God has this for you just as he had it for Paul. And maybe you won't live that same type of life that Paul did, but you can be just as impactful, just as much of a witness in the sphere of influence that God has you in right here and right now. What a cool thing that Paul has given us. What a cool thing the book of Philippians gives, gives us as we raise our perspective a little higher. All right, last but not least, we've got a couple applications here as you go into small groups and tomorrow, you know, the rest of your week. But first one is rest in the fact that God is with you in the midst of difficulties. Just rest in that fact. Fact. I don't know where you guys are all at. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your parents are like or your home life is like. You know, I, I'm, I don't know what's going on. But what I do know is that you can find rest. You can find peace in the fact that God is with you in the midst of those difficulties. He is with you. He is so with you guys. Number two, ask God to help you see his vantage point in your circumstances. So when you find yourself in those dark places, those deep places, just take a moment and say, God, I know you're with me. I know you're right here. I know you're, you're, you're wanting to speak to me. You're wanting to guide me. So help me to see things through your, point, your, your eyes. Help me to see that really difficult person in my life as you would want me to see them. Help me to see my parents as you would want me to see them. Help me to see my teachers as you would want me to see them. The fact is that when we line ourselves up with God's, God's vantage point, our circumstances start to make more sense than they do outside of it. Number three with applications, hold a steady course in the midst of perplexing problems by trusting God. See, a lot of times we want to run from problems, don't we? Right? When something is perplexing, when something is hard, we, we, we tend to run. Right? We don't want to deal with that thing. But see, when we're in God's perspective, sometimes we have to understand God wants us to go that, through that hard thing. God wants us to be uncomfortable because he cares a lot more about your maturing and your holiness and your, your, your boldness for him and your courage for him than he cares about you being comfortable. I know that doesn't really preach Sunday school, but like the fact is, guys, like God cares about you, absolutely. But he cares more about you being a witness and bold and courageous for him and to be that person, sometimes we have to go through hard things. So, so go through those hard things trusting God, right? Walk through those hard things courageously trusting God through those things. Number four, you guys, thank God that a, a Christ-centered, eternal perspective brings joy. Just thank God for joy. Thank God for the moments when they're really difficult. Something that was brought to me today, actually, by, by Pastor Jeff was, was when you're frustrated in a meeting, because he sees me and I get frustrated and I wear it on my face. He says, when you're frustrated in a meeting, just start saying thank you to things, right, in your head. Thank you, God, that I'm here right now. <laughs> thank you, God, that I'm breathing. Thank you, God, that I'm a pastor at this church. And just, like, start saying thank you in your mind to God and watch how that just brings joy. It takes me out of myself and it brings joy into that situation. So as we finish up chapter one, you go to small groups. Again, I encourage you guys, read through the book of Philippians as we go through this month. Take some time on your own, right? Read the word of God, pray over it, and allow your perspective to be so much higher than, than what is right here in front of you by trusting God each and every day, okay? So, Father, we thank you for this time. I pray that small groups would just be blessed 
as we go about this night. Lord, we praise you. We worship you in your name. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at Youth Group on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. If you'd like more information about JFY or have a question, reach out to us at joshuas at calvary.com or DM us on Instagram at ymcalvary.